0: the daily devotion my name is Kevin Hale I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway Arkansas the daily devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology today is Westminster Wednesday and we're actually gonna remember that this week last week I forgot that it was Wednesday and we ended up looking at the confession on Thursday instead this week I remember it's Westminster Wednesday so we're going to take a break from the book of Esther, this incredible story that we've been looking at that deals very much with the providence of God, and look at the fifth paragraph of the fifth chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The fifth chapter is of providence. And so we're looking at the fifth paragraph now. We've worked our way through the first four paragraphs, thinking about the providence of God. And we're working our way, or we've made our way up now to this fifth paragraph that, that frankly is, it's a difficult one. It's hard to, to process. It's it's not hard to process because we don't see it clearly taught in Scripture. It's hard to process, frankly, because we just don't like to think about this a whole lot. We don't like this idea that we're going to be faced with in this paragraph a whole lot. So let me pray for us and ask for God's grace and his spirit to help us, and then I'll read paragraph five of chapter five of the Westminster Confession. By the way, thank you so much that faithful men and women have gone before us and have faithfully summarize in various forms what your word teaches us, including here in the Westminster Confession of Faith. We thank you, Lord, that they don't pull punches, but what they see in Scripture, they summarize as faithfully as they can. We ask, Father, that you would give us wisdom as we look this morning at your word, that your spirit would be at work, that we might not rail against doctrines that are clearly taught in Scripture but humbly, by faith, accept what your word teaches us about how you are toward us. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, paragraph 5, says this, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin, and for sundry other just and holy ends. So there's this section of the confession that is a difficult one, And again, it's difficult not because we don't see this idea of the Lord's discipline, which is what this is talking about. This isn't difficult because we don't see this in Scripture. I'm going to read a passage here in just a second that that shows this same idea very clearly. It's difficult, frankly, because we just don't like to talk about it. We love to talk about the, the love of God for sinners, which is true, and we should talk about that. We love to talk about the grace of his forgiveness, which, again, is true, and we should talk about that, and we should love to talk about that. But we forget sometimes, in our our focus on grace, in our focus on the love of God, in in our focus on on justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone, we, we sometimes have a tendency to conveniently forget that God does actually call us to a life of holiness. Not that we might be justified. Let's be very clear about that. He doesn't call us to holiness that we might be justified, but because we are. But there is a particular life he calls us to. He he frees us from sin. His, His desire for his children is that we might not walk in sin any longer. Paul tells us in Ephesians that he has prepared good works for us that we should walk in them. So the question then becomes... When, when we deal, as we have seen at different times, the reality, as we just saw going through the book of Ephesia, Galatians, the, the reality that there, there is this flesh that is at war with our spirit. There is this tension in our life. And then we often fall to that tension. We often fall to our flesh. How is it that God works to bring us to repentance? How is it that God works to, to open our eyes to see that he is the one that we need. Well, that's what this paragraph of the confession is all about. And it starts, and it's important that we see where this starts. It starts with this description of God, this threefold description of God as wise, righteous, and gracious. A- actually, it's most wise, righteous, and gracious. So his His wisdom, his righteousness, and gracious graciousness in what we're talking about here, in the discipline, essentially, of his people is to the highest order. He's not less gracious when he disciplines us for our good and his glory than when he saves us. He's not less righteous when he leaves us to these things that he talks about. He's not less wise in his discipline of us. And it's important for us to remember that, that that what it's going to tell us is happening, and that what it's going to tell us that God does in the lives of his children is according to this highest order, wisdom, righteousness, and graciousness of God. Now, what is it that he does? Well, it says that he oftentimes leaves, and it specifies for a season. In other words, he doesn't abandon us in our sin, but he leaves for a season his own children to manifold temptations, and the corruption of their own hearts. Now, why on earth would he do that? Well, it gives us a bunch of reasons. First, to, te- to chastise them, or, or we'll say to chastise us for our former sins. In other words, to discipline us, to remind us that, no, sin has consequences, and that's not okay to do. Or, second reason, to discover unto them, in other words, to, to open our eyes to see The hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of our own hearts that we may be humbled. In other words, sometimes we just get a little bit too cocksure of ourselves and we think, oh, we can do this and we can make it on our own, and look how far I've come and I'm strong in my own strength now. And and sometimes we do need to be humbled and, and we need to be reminded that no, we're crooked deep down. We are still saints and sinners simultaneously, our flesh is still alive and kicking. And it's deceitful, and it's corrupt. Sometimes we forget that, and, and we do, in fact, need to be humbled in this way. And God, in his wisdom, righteousness, and grace, graciousness, so humbles us. So those are two kind of negative reasons, if you want to look at it that way. And then he gives three positive reasons. And The first positive reason is to raise us to a more close and constant dependence for our support upon him. In other words, part of the reason he wants to humble us and help us see the reality of our corruption is that we might see our need for him... Remember, that's what the law does. It shows us our sin. It shows us our need for a savior. It shows us our need for grace. It shows us how absolutely dependent on him we are and how constantly dependent on him we are. And so at times he leaves us to these manifold temptations to the corruption of our own hearts in order to raise us to a more close and constant dependence for our own support on him. In other words, that that we might see that that apart from him, we have no life in us, that we are absolutely dependent on him. And third or second kind of positive reason, he he leaves us to these things to make us more watchful against all future occasions of sin. When we see how we are tempted to sin, when we see kind of what the reality of the corruption of our heart is, then we're able to guard against those things. Because we know th- this is kind of our sinful bent in this way. And so we're able to, to to more proactively watch and guard against those same temptations. So if I know if I go into you know whatever situation that temptation is necessarily going to come, then I'm able to guard against that and not go into those sensual situ- situations that that I might not sin. And the final kind of, and it's kind of a catch-all reason, but the, the final positive reason is simply for sundry other just and holy ends. In other words, there's all kinds of other reasons why God might leave his children to manifold temptations and the corruption of our own hearts, and those ends are both just and holy. In other words, when God does this, he again has not let go of the string, so to speak. He has not lost control. He has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. But in his most wise, righteous, and gracious acting. He is acting for just and holy ends. He's working to bring about his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, again, as I said at the beginning, we don't like to think about the reality of God disciplining us. We love to think about his fatherly love. We love to think about him sending his son to die to save us. We love to think about the realities of redemption. But when it comes to fatherly discipline, it's, it's not our favorite topic, but it is a thoroughly biblical topic. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, we uh, or verse 3, we read this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not re- yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. There's the biblical statement on the discipline of our Father, that that his desire is for us to walk in holiness, and he disciplines us because he loves us. So sometimes we set up this false dichotomy in our mind between the love of God, the love of our Father, and the discipline of our Father. The Bible teaches, in fact, that those go together. Those that aren't disciplined are those who are not actually loved as children. There's all kinds of kids. I've got, you know, six kids. And so there's all kinds of kids that are in and out of our house and in and out of our life. And But there's, there's six that get my fatherly discipline. Now, sure, if one of the others is being a little crazy, I may say something. But there's only six kids in this world that get my fatherly discipline. And those that don't, don't get it because they're not my children. The author of Hebrews is telling us that's exactly how it works with God that it's because we're his children, it's because we're the objects of his fatherly love that he disciplines us and that he does so for our good. So this fifth chapter of the section, on, on, on or this fifth paragraph on the chapter on Providence in the Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us of this fact, that it is in God's graciousness that he disciplines us in these ways. And it is for just and holy ends. So might we learn as his children to learn from the discipline that comes from the love of our Father. Amen.